talking to Jan Linton. You may also know him as Dr. Jan Guru a few years ago, quite a few years ago. And um, we're talking about a song called I Actually Come Back. Hello, Jan, how are you? Hi, Austin. It's great to be with you. I'm glad to talk to you again. It's been a long, long time since I spoke to you last. Gone but not forgotten. Uh, it's You've always been in my mind. And that was a great video that we made together. We made a video together. Was it in night? When was it? Uh, it was a long, long time ago. Well, uh, I think it was in October in 2004 or 2005. It was very, yes, because it wasn't very warm. And it was down in Nabby Wood in the old um, playground, which is now gone. They they took it down and they built a new one down there. Okay. And it's been burnt down twice. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, we also hung out at the famous Clockwork Orange location in Thamesmead. Yes. And I remember almost pushing or barging uh, my drummer into the water just like in the movie yes which is also that, that's still there if you don't know the area um if you've seen the movie clockwork orange there's an area in thamesmead which is where they filmed a lot of it you've got the lake there which is the lakeside that in the film yes he um it was knocked into the water and and jen lovingly recreated it and then you've got the also the um, pyramid club up there that's all gone now the, the whole um, maze shopping part on the top where they walk through the little maze that's all gone it's been knocked down which is a big shame that's a terrible shame. Yeah. It is. It's been immortalised in your video, though, which was great. <laughs> Just in time there. Okay. Yes. Okay, so the song, I Actually Come Back. Tell us about the song and the history behind it, the story behind it. And is it part of an album or an EP? It is, certainly. Yeah, I Actually Come Back is the title track of an album, uh, which I well, originally started as really just a single or an EP. But record companies weren't really interested in that. So it just grew and grew. And I started to collaborate with Leo Abrahams, who is a kind of ambient experimental guitarist who's played with everybody in London. He's mostly well known for being the main guitarist of Brian Eno, but he's also played with Pulp and um, even uh, chart toppers like Christina Aguila, I think it is. Um, he's played with everybody. And I really love his guitar sound, which is it's just very atmospheric. So we started doing a, tracks, a few tracks together, but it wasn't enough for an album. So then I, I got him back in again a couple of years later to finish it off. And also uh, on the title track, I actually come back, is the bassist uh, Matthew Seligman, who um, he was uh, the bassist on David Bowie's Absolute Beginners and at Live Aid. Also, he played with Thomas Dolby. Uh, he was an early member of the Thompson Twins. Uh, another musician who played with practically everybody you can think of. So really, these two musicians were key to recording the album. I made it a really strong uh, piece of work technically. And um, I was saddened, very, very saddened indeed, because Matthew passed away in April from COVID-19. So as well as this album, we've actually reissued another album, which I did with him called Sendai. So that's the story of these two albums. It's amazing. I mean, you, you're saying that um, he passed away from COVID-19 and a lot of people still say it's not real, still don't go out and be careful. And it's just sickening that this happens and people just don't understand. They don't get it. It's really annoying because people are dying from it. Well, it was just, um, it, I think it was incredibly unlucky. 
he was visiting his brother in hospital, and his brother also passed away uh, from something else. And we just think that Matthew must have picked it up while he was in that hospital. And this is before it really got serious and people weren't wearing masks or, uh, you know, they were just starting to do social distancing and sanitizing their hands. But it was unfortunately too late for him. We were all very shocked about this. But on the other hand, it's, it's in a way, it's kind of not, I wouldn't say it's typical of him, but it's kind of like he went out in a high profile and he'd also just finished writing a book about his life so it's quite difficult for me to talk about it but i actually come back is actually about coming back from death actually or returning when people didn't expect me to return right and it was the first album that i did under my own name because as you mentioned i used to be going under this name in japan called dr jan guru so when I first made this album, it was it was it was almost like fifteen years since I'd I'd made another one under my own name. It's amazing. It's it's I've always been a massive David Bowie fan, and I've always liked Thomas Dolby. Both of their acting as well. I mean, they both made some great acting um, performances. And really, I, I didn't know Thomas Dolby was an actor actually. Oh yeah, I mean, I uh, can see he might be. There's a film, um, Rockula. <laughs> It's a rock star vampire film. It says comedy. You have to watch uh, it. <laughs> I'll have to check that out later. Um, it's obviously, brilliant. I've seen Thomas Dolby act in his own his own videos, and I've seen him act on Zoom, uh, <laughs> or, or certainly um, perform. And he was uh, coordinating a, a wake for Matthew uh, via Zoom actually in April. Right. So you know, thanks very much to him. A shout out to him for organising that. And he was actually one of Matthew's closest friends and supporters. Actually, I, I only really met Matthew. It's, it's a weird story about Matthew. Actually, I better tell you about this. Um, I first spoke to him in 1989. I got his number out of the musicians' union directory. So I rang him up about some sessions, and he said that he'd actually quit music and was writing a book about the brother of Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> so this is at the end of the 80s. Uh, so that was the end of that. And uh, I went to Japan, and I certainly never expected that he would. But then after the big earthquake and uh, nuclear disaster in 2011, uh, I just stumbled across a factoid about him, which he'd actually married a Japanese and had moved to that area where the disaster had occurred. And then he'd actually um, rescued his family and taken them back to London. He'd flown from London. He was still working in London as a human rights lawyer by this time. He'd actually flown back and got them out and, and took them back to London. But then later on, he said to me, uh, I, I got back in touch with him again after like more than 20 years. And he, uh, he asked me if he should go back and live in Japan. And I said, well, perhaps you should to be with your family. So. He did for a few years, and he, he had a happy time in a in a city called Sendai, uh, which is why this album is called Sendai, actually. And um, as I mentioned, uh, we've reissued this album now uh, in, with a six-page page booklet, which contains Matthew's thoughts and feelings about that time and and the disaster and his life in Sendai, which I think he was he was quite happy in Sendai, actually, but. He finally came to the realization that 
he was actually a human rights lawyer in London and it was time to go back and do that. So this is a tribute, the tribute album to him, actually. It's an amazing story. But I, I should forewarn you that the the music on this album that we did together is is very ambient and very experimental, no vocals at all. Uh, I Actually Come Back is is a song. That's an earlier work mm-hmm. uh, in which I sing. And uh, Matthew kindly compared it to Marvin Gaye's Sexual Healing. Okay. I think it's just the same drum machine, actually. Uh, Marvin Gaye was one of the first users of the Roland TR-808 sound. Yeah. Uh, which I've kind of emulated on, I actually come back. Okay. But he was full of praise for this song, actually. And coming from him, you know, he's, he's one of the great bass players, I think, a legend mm-hmm. in the music industry. Coming from him to say that this is a good song is has made it all worthwhile for me, actually. It's amazing. I mean, yes, of course, if anybody's, anybody's into David Bowie music, they're going to know that album. They're going to know. Yeah, they're going to know. Well, it was, uh, Matthew was just playing on these singles that Bowie did at the time. So it's absolute beginners. And um, the one he did with Mick Jagger, Dancing in the Street, which I actually don't at all. Uh, <laughs> And Matthew actually proposed that we played it live in Hong Kong. Uh, and I said, God, no. <laughs> we did play Absolute Beginners. And he, he said, uh, actually, that was the first time he'd ever played it live. Wow. So I'm honored to be, uh, to be able to perform that song live with Matthew for the first time that it was ever performed live. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, he later played it. He, he was doing a lot of um, jamming in London, around London, the last few couple of years, and he was playing it then. But yeah, I, I think I, I really touched a legend there. I was very fortunate to work with also Leo Abrahams as well. I was very fortunate to work with these two guys on this album. Can't wait to hear. It's just sad that Matthew's now passed away, but I'm happy to say that Leo's doing okay and is, is still very active in the London music scene. Brilliant. All right. Tell us about your musical history. Like, how, when did you start writing and recording your own music way back when? Probably started in the womb, I should think. <laughs> uh, I started writing songs or composing songs when I was very young, like four or five years old. Uh, and then I've always been into recording. Like, I used to borrow my dad's stereo equipment, and, or he'd have two tape recorders, and I'd record on one tape. Like I'd record the backing track on one tape and then I'd bounce it over to the second tape recorder while I was singing over the top or playing another instrument over the top. And the, the quality was awful. Hmm. Uh, but that's how I started recording. And um, then a teacher at school offered um, some studio time in a hospital radio in uh, Manchester. So that was really when I started. That was the first time I started recording. Uh, I've always been more of a recording musician than a live musician. Hmm. Uh, that came later. So after university in Birmingham, we couldn't get signed in London. That was when I first contacted Matthew Seligman. And then uh, I moved to Japan and I got a record deal in like three days, which I think really was just from having uh, the, the cheek or the audacity to just contact some major Japanese record labels and say, hi, I'm here and I'd like to do, I like to do this project and just sort of blag my way into it really. And they said, okay, here's the studio. Here are the, the world famous musicians who played with Ryuichi Sakamoto. 
wow, that was just after a few days of uh, a few weeks of arriving. <laughs> uh, so it all started from there, but it, it went downhill after that, actually. Um, there, were, there were certain periods when I would lose a deal and then I'd wait a, a year or two uh, and then I'd get another deal. This went on and on until um, throughout the 90s, actually. Uh, but then the scene changed. I was primarily a singer and I had to start to learn to play other instruments because I couldn't find musicians or ways to uh, back me up or I didn't have a record company backing. So I just sort of started to learn to do more and more of it myself, including mixing and sequencing and um, playing the instruments. And this culminated in a master's degree in creative music technology at Bath Spa University, uh, which was when I think I met you, actually, in 2005. Mm -hmm. So that's my story in a nutshell. Great. Okay. I was going to ask you about your influences over the years, but I think we probably can guess. So can you tell us, yes, from when you were younger, musical influences, have they changed over the years? And is there one that really still is the one? Yes, they have changed, but um, it's really recently. It's it's almost like I've become cynical about music and the music industry. But I'm kind of happy in my cynicism. Mm. I'm not really. I don't really feel bitter about it. Uh, but these days, I'm kind of functioning outside the music industry. So I've kind of become a bit disillusioned with a lot of my former heroes, if you like, some of whom that I met early on. Um, yeah, of course, um, I listened to some David Bowie, but only certain albums. There were some albums I really didn't like at all. It's quite controversial, but I don't actually think Ziggy Stardust is his best album at all, actually, which is a, a bit of a controversial opinion. But, you know, when I was sort of strumming away on a, a cheap guitar as a teenager, his songs were the songs that I was playing from a, a songbook, you know, with chord structures. But I had, a, you know, I just started off buying a lot of singles uh, when I was a teenager. And like every Sunday in the corner shop, there used to be these ex-jukebox singles that were going for like 50p each or 70p. And that was all I could afford. So really, I was just buying a lot of chart stuff. But I was very fortunate in that the charts at the time was like, late 70s, early 80s, were really good, in my opinion. So, you know, there are a lot of songs that I wanted to buy in that period of time. So, you know, I was listening to um, early on, I think the first record I ever bought actually was Buggles' Video Killed the Radio Star. Excellent. And you won't believe this, but Matthew Seligman actually played the bass on the original version of that. Excellent. <laughs> so it, it's almost like my whole life is um, is along Destiny's lines. Yeah, it's almost like it's predestined in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one I bought was uh, the Police Walking on the Moon, but I can't say that I've actually played with Sting yet, mm. yet, <laughs> or any other <laughs> member of the Police. Well, not those Police anyway. I'm not sure about the the real Police, and they haven't actually gone to arrest me. Uh, not yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> touch wood uh but i haven't done anything wrong so yeah uh that was an early not really an influence because i didn't, I didn't think i was good enough to play like that i mean video killed the radio star is such a complex song mm. other stuff i was listening to the pretenders and matthew seligman was also the bass player in the pretenders for a while 
So he really got around, you know. Yeah. And um, then after that, I got into uh, this kind of embarrassing, but um, well, now it's embarrassing, but um, Duran Duran. I ended up making um, quite a few uh, recordings with John Taylor from Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. He's not on the song that I did uh, with you. I did a video with you, but he was, I think he was on that album, actually. Excellent. On a different song. And then, I, and then from Duran Duran, um, I thought, you know, where are they getting their influences from? That's how I sort of went back and discovered Japan. Mm-hmm. And then I got in through, through listening to the group Japan. I got interested in the country Japan. And there was, they had a song called Life in Tokyo. And I thought, I said to my mum, you know, I think I'm going to go and live in Tokyo. And I did. But I didn't pay attention to the lyrics because the chorus is, oh, life can be cruel. Life in Tokyo. And yes, it was quite cruel. So I should, I should have paid more attention to the meaning of the song. Hmm. Uh, actually, but these days I've kind of rejected most of these influences and um, I've actually sort of discovered the sources of those sources. And uh, I'm really into Scott Walker now, okay. uh, who also unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago in London. Right. He, uh, David Bowie said that his voice was half Scott Walker and half Anthony Newley. Mm-hmm. And also the singer of Japan, David Sylvian, um, he was uh, going to make a record with Scott Walker and you can really, really, really hear the influence or at least the similarity mm-hmm. uh, between their voices. So it's almost like I'm going back to the 1960s now and discovering the real source of this thread of music which has spanned five decades. Yeah. When we start getting back to some normality in this in this world of ours, uh, do you have any upcoming plans like tours or um, music videos coming up or anything like that that we can look forward to? Well, thanks for asking, but you know what? I, I actually think we're never going to get back to normality. Hmm. I hate to say this, but I think this is going to be pretty much the new normal mm-hmm. with gaps in between. Yeah. But let's look on the bright side. The weather is much better with the reduced pollution. Oh, yeah. I don't know how the weather was in London recently, but in July, where I was, it was um, not, almost no rain at all, which is quite unheard of. Yesterday, we had the third hottest day in history, apparently, in London. Well, apparently, if there's less pollution in the atmosphere, the sun can actually get through more. Hmm. So, strangely, there's less pollution, there's more heat. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the kind of the opposite of global warming, or the opposite reason for global warming. Anyway, where were we um, after lockdown? Well, um, I'm just, uh, I've, I've, I found this keyboard on the, on the street, actually, which is where I usually get them from. Yeah. Outside the guy who cuts my hair, uh, outside his little salon. And I said, can I have this? And he said, yes. And it's got all these weird, like, Chinese um, auto arrangements in it and I, i've started to use this as like a live performance instrument so it's like i can just turn up with this one keyboard and i've got a complete orchestra at my fingertips uh so this has opened quite a few possibilities for live performance just by myself but 
unfortunately, as you know, you know, the venues are all shut down. But mm. um, so I can't really see myself doing any tours. It's, it's really just the odd gig here and there. And then stuff online. A video is, is something that we're working on. There is actually another video, which I, I made a, a couple of years ago, which still hasn't really come out yet. Um, because it's under a different band name, uh, which I can't talk about right now. Okay. But for sure, I should probably make more videos. So who knows, perhaps you and I will work again in that respect. That would be excellent. Speaking of which, tell us about your social media presence. Uh, there isn't much of one, actually. Uh, I'll tell you my strategy. Uh, the last couple of years, I've just been trying to work out what works for me and what doesn't. So I was very active on Facebook for a couple of years. And I think I, I got about a thousand friends, so-called friends, pretty quickly. But then I was also getting some sort of like negative feedback or occasionally harassed. Uh, like I said, the wrong thing on some group or something. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really leading to any um, sales actually. Um, I think maybe the whole time I was on there, I, was, I maybe sold two or three uh, CDs or whatever through Facebook or, or from people from Facebook. So it became not really worth doing. The time I was putting in and the return I was getting from a marketing point of view wasn't really working out. But I, I'd already established myself with a, with a sort of few thousand people who presumably would would then uh, through word of mouth spread it to other people. So I thought, let's let's be the let's buck the trend. Let's be the um, enigmatic rock star again, and be unreachable. Mm -hmm. So now I'm actually really hard to reach, as you've probably noticed. But my stuff's out there. I mean, it's it's all over the place. I've got a I've got a Bandcamp, which is um, uh, janlinton.bandcamp.com. That's that's the main one now. And um, Twitter, no, I don't do it anymore. Uh, hardly did it in the first place. So like I said, yeah, I mean, I was very active on Facebook, but I don't think that's really the right place for me. And Spotify never paid me, so hmm. that you won't find anything on Spotify either except maybe a 30-second clip of something. Okay. But I, I like it like this. I, I like to be enigmatic and... Like I said earlier, I've been very fortunate to play with some, some real world-class and renowned musicians. And people tend to find out about me through them. Okay. And that's good enough for me. Uh, I don't want fame hmm. in this current world where celebrity is actually not freedom. It's, it's actually being at the mercy of the media and, and trial by media. So it's quite an unusual opinion, I think, but I'm actually almost like now I'm like the anti-rock star or mm. the enigmatic rock star that you can't actually just knock up and contact on Facebook. Oh, that's good. I like that, actually. You've got to, you've got to search for my stuff. Mm. I'd like to be uncontactable. Actually, one other thing I've been doing, which I should mention, there are two excellent musicians I've, I've been playing on their albums recently. It's kind of a Visage, the, the band Visage. It's a spin-off from, from that group because um, in the later stage of Visage, when they, they, uh, Steve Strange made a new lineup before he passed away um, a few years ago, the keyboard player from that group with Logan Sky hmm. is his name, Logan. 
And um, he has a singer called Stephen Jones, who was a friend of Steve Strange from Visage and even kind of looks like him a bit. Uh, and those guys are making kind of, they're kind of like an electro duo. Uh, I'm actually playing the guitar for them and I've played on two albums so far. So um, I mentioned, you know, finding me through other people. So also I'd, anybody listening, I'd recommend you check out Logan Sky and Stephen Jones because their, their music's really excellent. And I was really glad to, I really got enthusiastic about contributing to their music because their songs are just so good and so catchy. That's great. That's brilliant. My son's name's Logan, so that just that just hits me right in the heart. <laughs> oh, your son is named Logan. Oh, obviously, obviously, it's a tribute to your son. <laughs> is there anything else you want to tell us before we play this this song? I actually come back. I'll just say uh, I I want to contrib- I want to thank Matthew uh, and Leo for their contributions, and um, this is a tribute to Matthew and his excellent fretless bass playing. God bless. I think he he lives on elsewhere and his music is eternal. Thank you once again. Beautiful. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for giving me the chance to talk about it. It's, it's really nice. Nice to hear it. And I, um, knowing you all those years ago, when you talk, there is there's something in your voice, you know, it's just a purity that I just love listening. And when you say things like that, it's just it's really nice. Thank you, mate. Cheers. I'd like to I'd like to think I'm a spiritual person, but there's a naughty side to me as well. <laughs> uh, but you can't see what I'm wearing right now. You can't see what I'm not wearing. <laughs> oh, what, so you, you know, before this radio show, um, someone here said to me, are you going to put any clothes on for this? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> Why? He can't see me anyway. But finally, uh, just to be on the safe side, I put on some ceremonial robes that i use in my ceremonies right uh, but i won't tell you what kind i'm just wearing pajama bottoms <laughs> okay yeah it's kind of similar to that oh that's brilliant <laughs> i want to see a picture of it now uh it's all right I can... what color what color are they <laughs> well my pajamas um, what are you wearing now oh it's just like a long black priest's robe with a hood Okay, that sounds cool, actually. It's like Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith. Like and it. then I've got a Venetian mask. I've got, I collect Venetian masks, actually. Okay, you're wearing one. Yeah, I am. Really? Yeah, well, I, I didn't actually shave, so I thought instead of shaving, I'll just put this mask on. <laughs> I'm really regretting not doing video now. We should have done video. Okay, but I wasn't sure. You know, you never know with video and pictures where it's going to go, actually. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've had a few issues with people sort of putting up photos of me on Facebook groups and saying, oh, this guy did this or whatever. And I've actually had to speak to a lawyer about it and about um, defamation. And we're getting, I was getting pretty close to suing somebody at one point, but they, they already sort of took it down, you know, and apologized. Um, mm. So, you know, it's out of control, really, this whole social media thing. So... I just wanted to take a step back and, um, you know, just get on with recording. So I'm doing a lot of recording at the moment instead of messing around on Facebook. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been excellent talking to you again. And, uh, yeah, I hope 
just wish all the best. Yeah, I, I really, I only, I don't really do these uh, things actually. I don't usually bother doing anything. Um, I'm really terrible at promoting myself these days, but probably slightly better at making an exhibition of myself. <laughs> uh, but we don't have any exhibition coming out at the moment. But, you know, I just agreed to do it because, you know, I've known you for a long time on and off and I, I just wanted an opportunity to get back in touch with you, really, because I appreciated what you did. Oh, that was brilliant. Um, so everybody listening here, you should know that Austin is a very talented video editor and um, very good at um, filming as well. So that's something you didn't know about our esteemed host for this show. Oh, thanks for that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And the listeners should appreciate it, too. So where's this show actually going out? Well, actually, it's based where, uh, in Thamesmead, actually. That's where the um, radio station is. But once it's gone out, it will be on the internet after that. So anyone can listen to it worldwide anytime, for, for, forever, really. It's just, you know, it's, it's in a library after that on their website. RTM.FM. It's uh, FM, then, is it? RTM.FM is the website, yeah. RTM.FM. That's great. Well, anything I can do for Thamesmead, I'll always do it because... I really like that place, and it was great to film there. I hope you come back one day because there's lots of change, and you would, you wouldn't some of it you won't recognise, but some of it you'll look at and you'll go, hmm, I see what they've done there. But as I walked along the flat top marina, I vidied that like inspiration is what Bog sends, and the gloopy ones don't know about that. And then there was a window open with a stereo on, and once again lovely music came to my aid yeah, excellent <laughs> which is from the scene on clockwork orange i have to watch that again I'll tell you. i've changed it a little bit but um yeah is that all gone now is the flat top marina still there it is yes that's the only bit that's left and the 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 um the stairs are still there and the flats that were next to it facing the lake are being knocked down they've been being knocked down for years and they they moved everyone out put them nowhere basically said right go knocked them all down and they still haven't built up they were supposed to build new stuff and they haven't done that they knocked down the library and the maze bit and all the shops they was going to build so you mean when when malcolm mcdowell says uh where i lived was with my dad and mum in municipal flat block 18a linear north and then he goes into the lobby and then there's like um uh the mural of naked workers and someone's painted something you can imagine what and it says suck it and see <laughs> so is that is that all gone then including the graffiti no the flats are still there the blocks are still there the, there's four towers oh the blocks are still there. the four towers facing the lake are still there yeah, at the moment i'm not sure if they're staying but they're still there yeah so that one is still is it is it actually possible to rent a flat there yeah imagine that imagine if i came back and rented a flat in you know municipal flat block 18a linear north where the clockwork orange characters lived that would be amazing do you know the scene when they uh break into the couples and they've got the couples place and um, they've got the mask on and they've got that um the, the roof kind of slants you know that bit in that flat yeah they've all been knocked down was that in terms mead as well that was facing the lake and they've all been knocked down now Oh, because in the story, that was um, a di- completely different, supposed to be a completely different place. Like, yeah. like, that was a village that they drove to yeah. when they were, um, you know, when they were looking for the old surprise visit. Yeah. That was a real laugh and full of lashings of the old ultraviolence. Exactly. But uh, the surprise visit, you know, knock on the door and say, 
excuse me, missus, can I come in to use your telephone? My mate's lying in the middle of the road, bleeding to death. <laughs> uh, and they used to say that. So they go around and say that to different people in the movie. Do you know when, you, yeah. when you're walking along the, the lake and you, you, when you bumped into Mirai, you know the flats to your left? Yeah. That's where they were filmed. That, 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 the slanty bit, that's one of those, but it's gone now. It's all been knocked down. Because in the movie, they had a sign outside that said home. Yeah, which I think they put in because in the Burgess novel, um, that's in the novel as well. Um, it was home that he was looking for, and it was home that he found. But it when it looked oddly familiar, but it wasn't actually his home. It was a sign that said home. Yeah, the the external buildings different. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that was actually, but that wasn't the the internal was was actually filmed in the flats facing that lake. Oh, yeah. the right. Okay, the internal and the external were different then because. Yeah, because it was supposed to be in a village, an outlying village somewhere, and there was even like a horse in a field in the background. Yeah. You can briefly see as they they turn up at that house. So that's gone, has it? Yeah, that's, that, um, yeah. that's a shame. It's a shame, yeah. The, the, the pub's still there, the restaurant pub's still there, but nothing else is all gone. Right. Well, it's just amazing that I met someone who, who actually lives in Thames Mead. So, you know, I'm quite fortunate. I think my life's just full of these... Um, coincidences but are they really coincidences i don't know if they are sir i don't know <laughs> good well thank you again i mean it's been really good never stop questioning the nature of reality <laughs> i apologize for uh, the uh, headache i've given you you could never do that so i think now i'm gonna go and open a bottle of wine uh, to celebrate this conversation we will toast you with our glasses of wine is it red wine it is that used to be my favorite drink and why did you stop Oh, I was a raging alcoholic for many years and I had to go to rehab. I haven't had a drink in nearly two years. Good for you. Good for you. Actually, that's something John Taylor went through, actually, uh, which he uh, told me about. Um, he actually, he, he, um, every time he'd go to Japan, and I'd meet him when he came to Japan uh, for a couple of times, he uh, was always offered alcohol because, you know, on TV shows or whatever he was doing there. Um, because in Japan, they're really big on drinking and they drink every night. And uh, it's, it's almost part of their business culture. And it's actually acceptable to come to work drunk or hung over the next day because then the boss will say, oh, you've done a good job drinking with the clients last night. So uh, anyway, uh, they were always offering him drinks. But he, I remember he said, uh, no, thanks. I've, I've drunk enough in the 80s for a lifetime. So... He never, he never touched a drop again. He actually had COVID-19 recently. I guess he's based in London at the moment, um, or, or London and LA, I'm not sure. But um, I'm not in touch with him anymore. Since Duran Duran kind of reformed, I've, I've kind of, I saw him, actually I saw them, I met them, when they were actually starting their reform tour. But then after that, that, that just became his life. So I haven't actually stayed in touch with him. But um, yeah, he he just never touched a drop again. But he got COVID. In, he got over COVID nineteen. You say he got over it, yeah? Yeah, he got COVID nineteen. But um, because he's been on this like health regimen, quite a strict regimen since he got back in Duran Duran. Actually, it's like uh, he's got to stay fit for that because they're touring all the time. He got COVID nineteen, but he said that he, he's quite a robust robust fifty eight year old. So he actually got over it. Uh, he recovered pretty quickly. Cool, um, but it's it's incredible. There's there's quite a lot of celebrities and musicians getting this virus, mm -hmm. and um, 
I hope to God I don't get it. I'm not sure if I could get over it. But this is, uh, to be honest, I actually knew it was coming because, you know, historically there was a pandemic 100 years ago and we were probably due for one about now. It's been exactly 100 years since the, you know, the uh, 1919 Spanish flu. Yeah. But people didn't expect it. They, they weren't, you know, our society has foolishly, in my opinion, um, become too global and too connected and too open. Mm-hmm. And there's just too much contact and everybody can go anywhere and meet anyone. And I don't think it's a good idea, actually. So I'm actually trying to see the, the positive side or the positive results of COVID-19. But it is difficult because of the, you know, the personal losses that we've all sustained and are sustaining. Um, you know, in this interview today, I've talked about several musicians who've passed, who I've known or, or um, have been like friends or acquaintances of friends or people I've worked with. And also, Mirai's father passed away from COVID-19. No. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know that. I haven't spoke to him. No. No. So, yeah, it's the real terrible thing about this disease is um, if someone gets it, they're probably going to pass. If they do pass away from it, they're going to pass away pretty much alone because, you know, they can't come into contact with their family. So there's grim times, but let's try and be positive. Um, That was your question. What am I going to do after normality returns? I, I, like I said, I don't think it is going to return, but there are some positive benefits. You know, there's less pollution. We're all reassessing what's important in our lives. Mm-hmm. I guess people are becoming less reliant on um, consumer goods. That's, yeah, that is a good thing. That's a good thing. Isn't it? That's yeah, it's a very good thing, yes. It's a consumer society, disposable society that we are, or used to be. Hopefully, as you say, we'll, we'll slightly change slightly for the better. I think, I think we'll learn from this because of the people who've yeah. passed. I think um, their sacrifice, in a way will lead to something good yeah because it's not just anyone in the street getting it it's it's like you say it's um anyone anywhere anytime can get it no matter who they are and it's yeah but on the other hand let's let's put it into perspective i mean it's it's it is still quite unlucky to die from it i mean it's not a it's not a high mortality rate it depends on the different country Mm -hmm. there was a joke on south park (laughs) uh this is about the time of sars actually and they're like oh no I've only got a 98% chance of recovering from this. So you've got to continue after I've gone. It's like it's got a 98% chance of recovery. <laughs> but this is, this is the thing, though, about Matthew's passing. It's like it's so unlucky, mm-hmm. first of all, to get it because it's, it's not that common. And then secondly, to actually pass away from it is, it, like I said, it was, it's almost like um, perhaps that was his destiny. To go out in a in a high profile blaze of glory. I mean, playing this song is like a tribute, for sure. Um, yeah, this is probably the only one you can play on the radio. And um, and I sh- one final thing I'll add for this: this is actually Matthew's edit, Matthew's remix. So it's I actually come back and then in brackets it's Matthew's edit, Matthew's radio edit, right. because the original version. There are two two or three versions on the album actually. He said, oh, you just can't play your, Jan, you can't play your original version on the radio. It's, it's like the intro is too long and it goes to, on too long in the middle. I know what makes a perfect pop song because I've played with all these pop stars. 
Um, so he actually edited it. So we're going to play his work mm. really today. I love it. And it's his radio edit. And on the other, on the other album, the ambient album we've released, um, there's a couple of other Matthew <laughs> remixes or Matthew edits on that as well. Because uh, he was very, very particular about his bass sound and, and just how it fits into the mix. And he was a very modest guy and he was saying, oh, I'm only a bass player, but he was, he was actually so much more. Mm-hmm. He was like a, a breath of fresh air. He's, he's always smiling and he just like brighten up every room. But there was also a serious side to him. And, uh, you know, if he, if he thought that you were doing something wrong or you know you had the wrong attitude he would tell you quite directly and almost sternly so he was almost like uh i mean he was he was almost 10 years old he was 10 years older than me Hmm. and uh yeah he was like sort of giving me a stern talking to from time to time about certain things very cool very cool (laughs) uh but for sure he uh, he actually people were saying that he actually gave bowie a run for his money uh, because in during Live Aid, Math, Matthew's hairstyle was was actually rivaling Bowie's hairstyle. Because Matthew had this kind of electric blue jumpsuit, and his hair was like jet black and st- spiky and sticking up. Mm. And uh, for some reason, Bowie kept calling him Brenda. <laughs> You just call him Brenda. Like Bowie would make these pet names for different musicians. In fact, in Live Aid, I think the keyboard player was also Thomas Dolby. People are going to be listening there. They're going to be going onto YouTube and they're going to be Googling it and they're going to be looking for all this. So it's a, it's oh, for great. sure. Um, no, it's, 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 a, it's a classic moment in time. David Bowie at Live Aid mm. uh, with Matthew Seligman uh, on the bass, Thomas Dolby on keyboards, uh, Kevin Armstrong on guitar. Uh, they're all friends. Hmm. Uh, they they were played in the they as I said earlier they played on the original video Kill the Radio Star. Cool, because that was written by uh, Bruce Woolley and Trevor Horn, and then Bruce Woolley left the Buggles, or the Buggles were an offshoot from whatever group they had at that time. So there are actually two different versions of Video Kill the Radio Star and some other Buggles songs, in fact. Yeah, as I said, Matthew played on them as well. You know, so he's kind of like in the background. He's like subliminally present in almost every major record that you can, you've heard in the UK charts from the late 70s onwards until, and then it's at the end of the 80s, it exactly stops. His career stops. And he did that on purpose. So he's very much from the 80s, but then, came back to music 20 years later and that's when i reconnected with him so thanks very much for playing this track it, it is a tribute to matthew selling thank you so much this is i actually come back
Actually, come back, Matthew's edit from the re-released album Sendai. Thank you so much to Jan Linton for telling us all about Matthew and his life's work and letting us play this track. Also, at the beginning, you heard Earth, which is also on the Sendai album. Thank you. <laughs> 